Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. You know it's a serious message when he brings the chair out. It's kind of like when I was a kid and my dad would pull up a chair to the kitchen table. I knew we were in for an eight-hour lecture. No, you think I'm joking. I'm not. Really, that really actually, well, maybe it wasn't eight, but the good six. I know it started just after supper and I didn't get to bed till midnight-ish. So, um, I want to speak to you today uh, as in the, in the office of my authority as your pastor. Uh, so, please, uh, please receive it that way today. I want to I speak words of life over our church, and I want to speak words of life into you. And uh, the title... Oh, thanks. Thanks. Son, you're such a good son. <clears throat> of course, now it's a little too low, but... <clears throat> no, no, it's okay. I'm going to... Because I'm going to sit down for some of it. And, and for when it gets serious, I'm going to sit down, and then you know to brace yourselves. <clears throat> uh, the title... The title of today's message is, I'm Afraid. I'm Afraid. And you might say, oh, that's not a good start. As if the leaders are saying they're afraid, then what are we in for? Well, it's true. I'm dealing with a specific fear these days. And I want to tell you, I'm not dealing with a fear pertaining to virus or lockdown. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not dealing with fear about... The legislators who can jail and fine me personally can do the same to our church. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm struggling with the very real fear that the church is getting tired and forgetting who we are. You see, right now, things have been going on this way since March. And what happens is when there is a trying circumstance, we are used to dealing with it in a matter of weeks. I know this because when I do counseling appointments with some of you, uh, when, I, when I talk you through some of the rough spots in your life, we're all humans and we're all the same. We really expect God or whatever to solve our problem in minutes rather than days, months, or years. I mean, I've, I think every couple I've ever counseled with, Pastor Amy and I have ever counseled with, we've had to have the same conversation, which is, guys, it took you 15 years to get this way. We're not going to get you fixed in a month. You see, we do have that popcorn mentality. We want to we get through things quickly. And the reason is, is because if we don't get through quickly, we begin to play out. We get tired. And with tiredness comes complacency. And with tiredness comes just a lack of, ah, I don't care. We might also call it apathy. The door by which apathy enters your life usually has to do with the amount of rest you have. The door, let me say that again for you if I can. The door through which apathy enters your life has to do with how much rest you have, how tired you are, how worn down you've become. And this is a a serious fear because, well, honestly, I think I'm going to get through this. And truthfully, I think most of us are going to get through this time and through these difficult circumstances. I really am afraid 
that in this, parts of the identity of who we are as a church could be lost. And so today, to stem that fear, to fight that fear, to come against that spirit of fear, I want to speak to you from God's Word. I want to liberate your minds from some of the things you have become slaves to again. I want you to experience the peace that Jesus brings that is not the same peace the world gives. Right now, the world is crying peace and safety, but they're never going to find it the way they're looking. Because Jesus has a peace that is like no other. We live in a world right now where we've gone on with this long enough that church is starting to attack church. And I don't mean one church is attacking another like the Baptists are after the Pentecostals. I mean that two brothers or two sisters in Christ are beginning to come at odds with each other because of a political or social opinion. We have one pastor who will lead a church by shutting down all of its services out of love for their community. And that can be noble and it can be right. Yet we have another pastor who leads his church by having them attend a protest against lockdowns or masks. And they too do that out of love. You know, here's the reality for our church. I don't want my old grandma to get COVID. I don't want that for her. Nor do I want her to catch any flu or any cold or any bug that she absolutely doesn't have to deal with because she's up there. She's older. I don't want that for her. And at the same time, I don't want people in our church to fall back into slavery to a drug addiction. I don't want to lose one more person in our community to suicide or overdose because they tried fentanyl for the first time in dealing with their stress, in dealing with their pain that they're going through right now. You all are aware of the political arguments that go back and forth about what should be done, how it should be done. This should be our liberty. This should be our right. This should be our freedom. It's my right to be safe, so you should all have to wear a mask. Guys, I want you to know that as far as the kingdom of heaven goes, it's all garbage. And at the same time, it's very important. I read something that bothered me in the first lockdown. It bothers me a lot. One pastor wrote, For those to whom faith is essential, church is not. Yeah, some of you, that sunk in right away. Can I just share my response to that kind of thinking? If that's true about the church, the church is not relevant to those who need it. The church is not a social club. The church is not a bar. The church is not a dance club. It's not a pool hall. It is the hope of the world. It is the instrument of Jesus Christ in this earth. It is a place where, above all, there will always be hope and there will always be presence of God. And there will always be peace that can pass understanding. And there will always be deliverance from anxiety and fear. 
It is the embodiment of Jesus in this world. It is the hands and feet of the Christ. And it's for that reason that churches must meet. It's for that reason, for those reasons, that churches must continue to exist by any means necessary. We pray for our leaders all the time, as the Scripture commands us to, so that we can lead godly lives with all dignity. When was the last time you prayed for your leaders? When was the last time you lifted up that political leader that you really can't stand? I ask you this because I fear in the ongoing boredom of what we're dealing with right now that we are becoming complacent in prayer. That we are becoming less impactful as spiritual creatures of war. And we are spiritual creatures of war. The Bible tells us that we are in a warfare continually at all times. That there is a mortal enemy to our souls who wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. And we, not the Lord, but we are locked in a battle with the power of darkness. We are. And for this reason, God has given you armor to wear. He has given you weapons that are not carnal, but divine for the pulling down of strongholds. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that it's time we begin to take up the armor of God. It's time we begin to take up the weapons of our warfare, which, by the way, will never harm the flesh of another human being. Never. But it will divide between the joint and the marrow and be able to divide between the soul and the spirit of an issue because it is the Word of God. I'm wrestling right now with the fear that some of the saints are losing heart. Guys, we're sons and daughters of God. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We take courage. We rebuke a spirit of fear and take a spirit of power and soundness of mind and love. We walk with wisdom in a world of the unwise. We stand in the gap between warring factions because we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And we are able, God says, for that ministry. I'm worried, I'm fearful that as the church becomes complacent, as it gets worn down, as it gets tired, that they will easily be led away again to various captivities. That their confession is not really Jesus. But it's a confession of some other form of godliness that denies the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of doing jail time because I pray for people in a homosexual lifestyle. When I was 19 years old and went into full-time ministry, well, not full-time, but into, into ministry, professional ministry, I often fairly lightheartedly said, it's likely in Canada in my lifetime that I could go to jail for teaching Bible. Bible. 
Bill C-6 is before Parliament and before the federal government table till tomorrow. That, that's not a surprise to me. I've told you many times in this church that we will flourish. We will do far better under persecution than we will with all the freedoms and liberties that have been ours and so easily disposed of. Guys, you're about to have real skin in the game. Some of you for the first time in your life, some of you for the first time in your faith journey, you're about to have real skin in the game. If at this point in my message this morning you have decided whether I'm pro-mask or anti-mask, you're already wrong. Franklin Roosevelt, March 4, 1933, his inauguration speech when he became the President of the United States. A Democrat, if you can believe that, hey? <clears throat> you see, Democrats and Republicans weren't the same today as they were back then. He said this, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes the needs and efforts to convert retreat into advance. Fear itself, that nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. If you find yourself today paralyzed, you're living in the wrong spirit. You're, you're living in the wrong fear. What do I mean for that? Well, Proverbs 9.10 will give you instruction that will save your life. Proverbs 9 verse 10 in the NLT says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. I want you this week to take these verses I'm sharing with you and read them in context, please. And you will be amazed as you read through these verses in context, all of the words that are around these verses depict a society that looks very much like ours does today. We just don't have time to read ten verses for everything I wanted to reference this morning. Because we'd be here till 3 o'clock. One translation even reads that true knowledge results in good judgment. You see, there is a knowledge, but there is also a true knowledge that comes when the fear of the Lord is the foundation of your wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 in the NASB, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Oh, I know some people who are fools, Pastor Trav. They are anti-mask. Oh, I know some people who are fools, Pastor Trav. They are pro-lockdown. If you ever wonder what it's like to be a pastor right now, it feels like someone is pulling you apart by your arms. Just so, and I suspect for anyone who is leading anything, it's probably the same. I think our premier feels like he's being pulled in half, by warring factions. So what's your role? Well, remember where your fight is. That's not where your fight is. 
Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you understand the theme to this point? But it says this in Psalm 111.10, all, someone say all, all who follow his precepts have good understanding. Can I just break that down for you in a real scholarly fashion? If you do what God says, you'll have good understanding. If you do the things God instructs, you'll have good understanding of what's going on around you. If you do the things God says, you will have understanding for the situation that you're in, for the time that you're in, for the purpose or the appointment that you have been called to, all because you know that the fear of the Lord, fearing God is the beginning of your wisdom, and that following His precepts is what will bring you to a place of understanding. Matthew 10, 26-31. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but and who are unable to do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not fear, because you are more valuable than many sparrows. This is the words of Jesus, by the way. Read the verses before that passage and after that passage. And see what I'm talking about this morning. You see, the problem with complacency and wearing ourselves down or being worn down by the political process, the social frustrations that we're facing right now, losing hope, losing, losing the place where our vision should be focused, which is on Jesus, on things above, on eternal things, not carnal things. When we begin to tire and lose that perspective, we fall to fear. We become silent in regard to the truth. We live in fear of those who can fine us or jail us. We live in fear of those who could literally kill us. And Jesus points out that's not who you should be afraid of. You should fear the one who can destroy your body and your soul. And he goes on to say, two sparrows are sold for a cent. And not one of them will fall to the ground without the Father knowing about it. He didn't choose, just so you know, Jesus did not choose sparrows as an example because you were insignificant. Rather, he chose the most if insignificant example in the marketplace of that day. Sparrows were absolutely, that is absolutely insignificant in the marketplace. 
and pointed out to us that even though the sparrow is so insignificant, not even worth a penny apiece, God knows what they're doing. He knows where they're. He knows when they fall. So don't be afraid because you are far, far, far more valuable than a sparrow. Do you think that your Father in heaven does not see you at 2 o'clock in the morning lying in your bed with tears trying to come out of your face as you struggle and battle your anxiety? Do you not know that he sees you and that in fact he is with you? And if you would just turn and cast your care to him, if you would give your anxiety to him, he will come and he will save you because he hears your prayer. And he knows your days, and he knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows the circumstance you're in right now. And he knows exactly what it can do to make you into the great thing that he designed from the beginning. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere men do to me? Say this with me. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Let's say that again. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Do it again. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Again, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. You see, having a spirit of boldness does not mean you will have the absence of fear. Having a spirit of boldness means that when you encounter a spirit of fear, you are equipped to overcome the spirit of fear. So when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. 1 Peter 3, 13-17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, you wouldn't think anyone, would you? But that's not true today. Well, I want to pray for that guy. Well, you can't pray for that guy because you're not allowed to convert anybody anymore. Well, isn't it good to pray for people? I think it is. Who would harm you if you are eager to do good? Samaritan's Purse sets up in New York City amid the COVID pandemic. A certain community in there says, oh, we're going to be watching them real close for all the abuses they're going to commit. I don't see any other organizations coming to set up hospitals in the middle of hell. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to get? Listen, church, people will harm you for doing good. That's why no one who follows Jesus will ever have the excuse to say, well, I'm not doing that because I'll just get hurt. Yes, you're going to get hurt. Yes, you will encounter wounding and pain and frustration, doing good, doing the right thing. You absolutely will. If Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth and yet was crucified on the cross, why on earth would you and I think we get to walk through life without being hurt? 
If the Son of God, the Son of Man, the root of Jesse, is going to deal with pain and suffering and hurt, so much so that his own Heavenly Father has to separate himself. Why on earth would we think we get an easy road all the time? Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Oh, so if I'm eager to do good and people get mad at me, if I'm eager to do good and someone in church thinks that I shouldn't be wearing a mask because it makes me a big chicken, you can just put whatever narrative you want into this. Even if you suffer in doing what is good, you're blessed. Somebody say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Why? Because God commands blessing. God commands blessing on righteousness. God commands blessing on unity. Do not fear their threats, it says in verse 14. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, keep Jesus the boss. Revere him as the Lord of your life. Keep him in the place, the highest place of lordship in your life. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What is the reason for your hope? Why are you so stinking happy all the time? What's your answer? But do this with gentleness and respect. When you write a letter to your government to point out the folly of their way, you do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Because the Bible promises us that a gentle answer turns wrath away. Do it with gentleness and respect and keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer doing good than for doing evil. Guys, at the end of our life, at the end of this age, there will be judgment. Each one of us will stand before the throne of God. And, and, and our works will be judged. Our lives, our actions, we will be judged. And in that day, I want to tell you, it will not matter to you that you were treated harshly for doing the right thing. It won't matter to you. Because when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, now enter into your reward, you're not going to be worried about that stuff. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Always the truth. This will always be true. It's better to do good than to do evil. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. 
Anybody want to argue the command of God this morning? Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. You see, if we become worn down and forgetful of who he is to us, someone else will easily, gladly, happily step in and become your God. And I want to tell you that whoever comes in to take the place of the Almighty in your life will not be able to strengthen you. And they will certainly not be able to hold you up with their victorious right hand. That position is for him and him alone. Deuteronomy 31.6, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. Someone say, do not panic before them. Don't panic before them, for the Lord God will personally go ahead of you. Do you know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said the things they said to Nebuchadnezzar? When they they had to stand before the king and be faced with the threat of being burned alive in a furnace, what did they say? King, we will not bow. Our God is surely able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we still ain't going to bow. Why did they say that? Because they foreknew. Now, whether this was in their physical minds or not, I do not know yet. I will know one day when I get to meet them in heaven. I'm going to ask them what that was like. They had a foreknowledge that God would personally go before them. And what happened when they were thrown into the furnace? They found out that God had personally gone before them. You see, what we're facing right now might look really hard and difficult, but here's the truth that you might not be able to see this morning. God is personally going ahead of you, and if you ever get brave enough to follow his command, follow through on his precepts, do the things he said to do, love the way he wants you to love, have peace the way he wants you to have peace, and you finally get it together enough courage to walk through those flames, you will find out that the personal God has personally gone before you and personally wants to meet you on the other side of what you thought was too hard for you. And it was too hard for you, which is why he personally went before you. Personally. I don't know about you, but I am amazed when God says, I will personally do this for you. You know what that means? That means that God is not commanding an angel to go and do it. God is not saying, oh, Carlisle, today I need you to get up and go and and encourage Pastor Trav. Yes, God does call me Pastor Trav in my own mind, apparently. Um, But that's not what God's doing. God's saying, look, I am personally going to go before you. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't panic in front of them. I am personally going to do this for you. And then it says, "He he will neither fail nor abandon you. Colossians 3, 12 to 17. So as those who have been chosen of God, someone say chosen, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, of patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Here's how I want to end this message. The worship team can come back up. I want to give you the filter for anything you're going to do in the coming weeks. Because the Bible says that if you let the word of Christ dwell rich within you with wisdom, and if you teach one another and you admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and have thankfulness in your heart to God, goes on to say, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Church, whatever you do in word or deed this afternoon, you must do it in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that, you know, you know we're going we're gonna to defy the order and I'm going to take Carlisle to lunch afterwards because it's my right. Not, that's, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that I'm going to say, Carlisle, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to buy you lunch today. That's not what it means to do it in the name of Jesus. Here is what you must understand. Whatever you do in the name of Jesus means whatever you do must be done in a manner worthy of Jesus. If you're going to write a letter to the government and you attend this church, you're going to do it in such a way that is worthy of the name of Jesus. If you're going to wear a mask or not wear a mask, you need to do that in a manner that is worthy of the name of Jesus. Get what I'm saying. If you're going to buy your wife an awesome birthday present on her 42nd birthday in 2020 in the middle of COVID and be an awesome husband, you got to do it in the name and in a manner worthy of Jesus. I realize how big of a contradiction that is. Guys, whatever you do, when you touch a person on the shoulder, even though it's frowned upon, to communicate value, acceptance, and love to them, do it in a manner that's worthy of the name of Jesus. If you politely have to ask someone to put their mask on or to step back, do it in a manner that's worthy of Jesus. Some of you might say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know how to do things in a manner worthy of Jesus. Yes, you do. And yes, you can. Because the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you. And he has given you this love letter called the Bible that actually has everything in it you need to navigate this life. It actually has the answers. It actually has the solutions. It actually has the, the conclusion you will find at the logical end of all things. It's all there. The thing is, is you have to spend time in it. You have to love the Word of God. 
to get life from the Word of God. As the church is glorious. The church is holy. It is without spot. It is without wrinkle. It is without defect. Even though, by God's standard, we're all a bunch of rejects. Because of Jesus, this church is sanctified, holy, and perfect. And no, we're not going to get it right all the time. And no, we're not going to get it right the first time. But we will be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. And I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus this morning. We're going to take 30 seconds and ask the question we always ask. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Let me pray for you, Jesus. I thank you for your word. That I, I thank you that it speaks so pointedly into our lives. And I pray, Lord, that encouragement would begin to rise up and beat in the heart of every person in this room and watching online today. Jesus, we reject fear. We reject chaos. And we invite you again to become the one who is in control, the one who is calling the shots, the one who is providing for us. We turn our attention to you, Lord. We focus our eyes on you, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning if there are those here who need to respond, who need to come forward and receive from you, God, that they would be emboldened to do so right now. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.